0: Thank you. Victor, I do love you like a father and I mean that. I appreciate it. Not just because you're old also. Other reasons. Um, You also talked longer than you were supposed to. So I have to talk faster than I should. So I apologize in advance for that. But we'll be good. So we've been in a series about being wholehearted, right, if you haven't noticed. And kind of how that plays out in different ways in different parts of our lives. So we started out in 1 Peter 1 with kind of wholehearted living. That was two weeks ago. Last week, Vic brought us a message on kind of growing uh, as Christians wholeheartedly from Second Peter 1. And tonight we have this picture kind of of wholehearted going from 1 John chapter 1. So go ahead and turn there just so you're there. I'm going to get there in a second. But that's kind of where we're headed. Wholehearted going from 1 John chapter 1. But while I'm sure others have done this already, uh, I felt compelled to start out tonight with like, what do we mean? Or more importantly, what does the Bible mean by this word, wholehearted? Okay, we talked about it a lot. It's painted in it like massive letters on So, what do we mean? What does the Bible mean by wholehearted? You might be thinking, dude, that's obvious. It's a compound word like whole heart. Put them together. Your whole heart. Move on. Uh, yes, but no. Okay, the heart is a complex thing, and so is the Hebrew language. So. Before I talk about going wholeheartedly, I really want us to talk about this first. Because here's the thing, if you miss this, it doesn't matter how intensely or passionately you live your life. If you aren't living wholeheartedly for God, then you're missing it and run the risk of wasting your life. So let's dive in. If you know anything about our church's history, you know that we first started talking about this word wholehearted during a study through the book of Numbers, which was much better than it sounds. Um, And in the book of Numbers, we have this story, really important story in the history of Israel. I'll just briefly summarize it. Basically, they had been rescued by these miraculous ten signs, ten plagues from slavery in Egypt and were being led to this promised land. They were at the edge of the promised land, and they sent spies. They go, like, check it out, see the fruit of the land, and bring back a report, okay? So they went, and they see the land. They come back. There's 12 spies. And 10 of them are like, there's giants! they're freaking out and two of them are like yeah there are but i mean the lord is with us so let's go okay so we have these 10 guys who are freaking out about big dudes and then we have caleb and joshua okay and they say yes but the lord is with us let's go this is a huge deal and a massive turning point in israel's history because this is where god sends them into the wilderness as punishment for the 10 who freaked out and let everybody else to say let's not do this let's go back to egypt right And then they were for 40 years in the wilderness wanderings because of their fear and their inability to go and possess the land. And pretty much everyone over the age of 20 dies in the wilderness except these two guys, Joshua and Caleb. Okay, And God says why. He gives the reason over and over and over again. You see it in Numbers 14, Numbers 32, Deuteronomy, and in Judges. I'll read from Numbers 32. It says, Surely none of the men who came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because, listen, because they have not wholly followed me. None except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and the Kinsanite, and Joshua, the son of Nun. For they have wholly followed the Lord. Okay, there it is. They have wholly followed the Lord. The NIV translates that directly. Follow the Lord wholeheartedly. There's our word. Okay, let's pay attention first to the fact that there was no middle ground here. You have those that follow the Lord wholeheartedly and those that do not. I see no mention of partially hearted people here, right? Getting like a pat on the back. You know, like there's no, well, Jedidah, you were like 75% devoted to me, so that'll do. I'll take that. Like, no, you're either wholeheartedly devoted or you're not devoted. I was talking to my bride about this and she made a great point. She said, I think the best analogy here is marriage, right? You don't have to be married or even a Christian to see this. No one in the right mind would say or imagine a, a, someone saying to their spouse, well, I mean, I, I was like 85% faithful, right? I just, I just flirted with a few women, slept with a few other women. Other than that, though, like 80, 80%, 80%, like that, that's good enough, right? That sounds ridiculous because it is And remember, the most common way that the Holy Spirit describes the relationship between us and God is this analogy of marriage. That's intentional. So just like in marriage, so it is with God. You are fully devoted, you are wholehearted, or you are not. And we all know this, right? Nobody would stand up here and say, I am a half-hearted Christian. We don't come in on Sunday and sing, I am mostly yours. right? We, we (laughs) We don't do that. Sorry, I should never sing on stage, but it's... Making a point here, we want to be wholehearted. We know it's what God asks of us. And yet I'm convinced that the vast majority of us feel like we're not there. And we feel exhausted at the thought of trying to do more, trying to add more, trying to be more involved or more devoted in the midst of all these other things that we have to do, which is why I wanna take a little time and talk about this word because I think we misunderstand it. And I think I can help. Now y'all know I didn't study Hebrew. But I did a little bit of back work on this word, and it's actually most often translated in Scripture as fill up, uh, to be filled, right? Which kind of makes sense, the whole of something, wholly filled up, okay? Let me pause here and just say, like, something is filling you up. Something is filling up your mind and heart every day. Marketers and social media influencers get paid Large sums of money to fill your heart with desire and discontent, covetousness and materialism to make your heart long for whatever you don't have. Media outlets want to fill your heart with fear, feeding you stories of dangerous or an uncertain future to make your heart doubt and worry and then come back to them looking for answers that they don't have. And it's not just from the outside, right? Our own hearts left to themselves cannot be trusted. James says that each one of us is tempted and we are lured and desired by our own hearts, our own desires to bring forth sin and eventually death. Our hearts want to be filled with these temporal pleasures. I don't know if any of y'all watched the Oscars. I didn't, right? But um, Chloe Zhao uh, made history by becoming the first woman of color, she's, she's Chinese born, and only the second woman in history ever to be given the Oscar for best director, okay, uh, for her film Nomad Land, which is awesome, like, like that's a great accomplishment. I'm, I'm serious, I am truly happy for her. She sounds like a very talented director. Uh, a lot of her films are described as being these, these portraits of just common people. But I have to say, girl doesn't understand people. And here's why I know that. In her acceptance speech, she was reminiscing about when she was a little girl, her and her father would, would recite these little Chinese proverbs back and forth to, her, to each other. And her favorite one that just stuck with her her whole life, that inspired her whole life of work was, Chu Shan which roughly translates to say, people at birth are inherently good. No, they aren't. (laughs) People at birth are inherently a jacked up hot mess. And I don't know how to say that in Chinese, but we are born with this insatiable lust for that which does not satisfy. Our flesh naturally runs to broken cisterns that don't hold water. We are every single day in this battle for our hearts from without and from within. Something is filling you up every day. And the moment that we stop fighting, the moment we lay down arms and let go, our default is self-destruction and death. Our hearts will be filled up. So to be whole-hearted, to be filled up whole means you fight to not let anything else fill it except the all-satisfying everlasting joy and power and glory and love and truth of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That was an aside. Now back to this word, okay? Whole-hearted filled up. Like I said, it's usually translated filled up but interestingly, the same Hebrew word is also sometimes translated as consecrated. So whole-hearted can just as easily mean holy-hearted or heart set apart for God. Okay? So whole, but also holy. Walter Kaiser, who's an Old Testament scholar and, and a former president of gordon Theological Seminary, Noted, he says, it is regrettable that we had to divide the English word holy, H O L Y, into two words the religious word holy and the secular word holy, W H O L L Y. Both words have the same root in Anglo Saxon history. The same is true for the Hebrew root. Israel was to be a holy people given holy over to the Lord, set apart not only in their personal lives, but also in their service. So, for the Christian, our whole life is holy. Nothing is trivial. To put it a different way, there is no such thing as a sacred, secular divide. Like, okay, I go to church on Sunday and I have my tribe and I have my quiet time and that's over here. And then I have work and school and hanging out with friends and chilling and sports and that's over here and they're separate, like secular, like no, there there is no such thing. For the Christian, everything is meant to be holy. Everything is meant to be set apart because you are holy. You are set apart, concentrated. Your faith is not a side plot in the story of your life. It's not this interesting fact about you, like I have two dogs and I like British baking shows and I'm a Christian. Like, No, that's not what it is. Your faith, your adoption into the family of God, your devotion to Christ is your life. It is your story and everything else flows out of it. We have to understand this and if we don't, we will be crushed Like I said earlier, we will feel exhausted, like we're never doing enough because we're always trying to add things to make up for these other things that we're doing. Like, oh, I have all these secular things, so I have to add more sacred things, I have to add more Jesus things. Like, oh man, these these things over here, those things over there, it's like as though they're in competition with each other. So listen, let me just say this again in a slightly different way. This is so important, I just want to say it like two or three different ways. I am not saying that to be wholehearted means getting rid of like your interests and your passions and your hobbies and ignoring what we enjoy and only think about the Bible all the time, like some new monasticism or asceticism, like no. Instead, I'm talking about consecrating every aspect of your life and heart, setting all of it apart for God and His purposes. And then what if that were true? What if our lives, our hearts, everything that we are and do was fully concentrated, set apart for God? It's all His and it stops being a question of how much is enough. Like, am I doing enough Christian activities to be able to do these things too? Instead it becomes, how do I use this part of my life to get the gospel to the unreached? How do I use this passion or this skill or this desire or this activity? How do I use my career, my family, my relationship all as a part of the same wholehearted life. All concentrated, set apart for the wholehearted purpose of fulfilling Christ's commission, God's glory among all nations. Okay? That's what wholeheartedness. Hearted means, And that brings us to tonight, wholehearted going. That was just a bit of an intro so we could understand the word that we're talking about. And now that we've established that, like what does it mean to go wholeheartedly? To go with the gospel wholeheartedly. For so for that, finally, let's look at First John 1. Now I'm in the middle of trying to get this in my mind. So this is a little rusty, but I've been working on it since Vic told me 10 days ago. It's 10 verses. I thought maybe I can memorize it by the time we get there. So 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning this life. Concerning this the word of life, sorry. The life became manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life. The life that, see I'm, I'm forgetting, I'm a little bit rusty here. Let me check and help myself here. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you that you may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And this is the message that we heard from him and proclaim to you. God is light, in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, And the blood of his son, Jesus Christ cleanses us from our sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, I'm not doing that to like show off. Like, look at me, I can memorize scripture. I'm actually just making a point here. Again, something is filling you up. Ten verses, ten days. You can do that too. Like, I wasn't perfect, but that, I mean, I'll keep working on it. Okay, so just side note, you can memorize scripture. You should. Um, 10 days ago I started and that was 90% accurate. So there we go. Memorize scripture, fill your heart with that. So wholehearted going. Let's establish the what first. What are we going with? We're going, yay, with what? Okay, if you were paying attention, verse one says that that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, looked upon and touched, referring to Christ, right? The word made flesh. Now, this is comforting and powerful coming from John to us and other readers. But as you think about going, You may be thinking okay that's great that like John saw and heard and touched but I didn't right (laughs) or you may even think man if I had seen Jesus in person if I had been there like I would be so much more bold I would love if I could just see him and touch him and then I would be going with the gospel no questions asked let me show you something that I noticed a few years ago that really changed the way I think about myself as a witness for Christ I want you to see this too. So hold your place in 1 John 1 and flip over to Acts chapter five. While you turn there, let me set the scene real quick. So Jesus has recently risen from the dead. And even more recently, we have the Pentecost scene where the Holy Spirit falls like fire, flaming tongues, people speaking in different languages, right? God fills his people with his presence and power. Jesus' followers have been, before this happened, they were nervous and scared and hiding. And then after this happens, they're boldly proclaiming his name, healing the sick, preaching the word and getting beaten and imprisoned a whole lot. And they are loving it. And in verse 17, we get to one very such scene, right? Peter and his boys have been healing and preaching and the Sadducees are mad, they're jealous. They arrest them. An angel releases them and says, keep preaching. So they go back and kind of pick up where they left off from the same spot and they get arrested again and they bring him before the council and the council's like, hey, what gives? We told you to stop talking about Jesus. Now listen to their response in Acts 5, starting in verse 29. Look at it with me, Acts five twenty-nine. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel, forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Do you see that? We are witnesses, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given. So, fast forward two thousand years. Are you a follower of Christ? Anybody? Yes. Are you a follower of Christ? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Yes, then you are an eyewitness, you were there, you heard, you saw, you looked upon. If the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, you can stand on the shoulders of your spiritual ancestors and say boldly alongside them, I am a witness, Jesus is alive. The life was made manifest, we have seen it, we have heard and we proclaim to you the eternal life, okay. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you were there, you have seen, not enough for you, okay, all right, we'll go somewhere else. Peter was there, so let's talk to him. Flip, sorry, we're bouncing a little bit, but flip to 2 Peter 1, where we were last week, where Vic had us in the word last week. He didn't get this far in chapter one, but I want you to see what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 16. He says, I'll read slowly so you can get there. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Pause for a second. You might think he's talking here about the resurrection, right? Like we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, must be his resurrection. He's talking about a different experience, which we refer to as the transfiguration. So keep reading, 17. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am very well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Okay, so we don't have time to just see this story. It's in Matthew 17. But Jesus took his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, up on a mountainside, was revealed to them in glory, glowing like these glow sticks, but brighter. It says they were actually glowing like the sun, right? Moses and Elijah show up to the party, also glowing, I think. And you're thinking, if I had an experience like that, like I would be bold. I would tell everyone about Jesus. Now, listen to what Peter says about his mountaintop experience. Verse 19. And we have the prophetic word, more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shine in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And when this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So there it is. Peter says, listen, I was there. I saw him in all his glory. I saw Moses and Elijah and Jesus hanging out and glowing, but better than that, more sure than that, the scripture in your lap or on your phone or wherever you have it, which you would do well to pay attention to because it's the words of God. So, Inside of you is someone who was there. In front of you are the words of God himself, right? So listen, guys, either this is true or it's not. And if it's not, then go home. Well, get your nezzas, then go home. Because you are to be pitied above all else if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. But if this is true, then that changes everything, it matters for everything, for our whole life, our whole heart, and it matters for the whole world because, verse five, this is the message that we have for the world. We go wholeheartedly with the message starting in verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him when we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus and cleanses from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in this. But listen, if we confess, our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The world is lost in darkness, but we know the God who is light. The world is separated from God by sin, but we know the one who is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us. Like Vic said last week, we know a guy. Every other world religion offers a God on top of a mountain. That we worked our way up to trying to be good, trying to work hard enough to have our good outweigh our bad so that when we die, the best hope that is offered is a maybe. Maybe it was enough. Maybe God will be gracious. We don't worship a God of maybe. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, sure and steadfast. We don't hope as the world hopes because God has not asked us to climb a mountain of morality and try to best to find him. Our God came down. John, the one who wrote 1 John 1, put it this way in his first book, the gospel of John. He said, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. It was not Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was light and the light was the life of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then later in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father. The word became flesh. God became man. Light came down into darkness. But... So much of the world still dwells in that darkness. So much of the world is still in darkness, not by choice, but because they just don't know. No one has told them that the light has come. No one has told them that if they would confess their sins, there is someone who is faithful and just to forgive their sins. No one has told them, which is why you must wholeheartedly go to them. Now, this is one of those I'm leaving the country, I can say what I want moments. On this topic, I'm supposed to say, this is what I'm supposed to say. Not everyone is called to go, but I'm not gonna say that because it automatically separates God's called, chosen, set apart people into these man-made categories of like goers and senders, goers and stayers. All of us are called to go in some way or another with our lives, with our resources, to go with the gospel, to go wholeheartedly, to give ourselves fully to the mission of God. We are called to be a part of this, to be fully invested in the mission, regardless of where we happen to live on this earth, okay? And we get in this mindset like, oh, they're these special people, missionaries, and they go other places with the gospel, but I'm not one of them because I'm not called to go. Of course, not everyone can move away from America as America would stop working. But guess what? A lot more could than do. A lot more of you could give two years after college than are currently planning to. And why aren't you? Because someone along the way convinced you that you aren't called. Let me ask you a question. Can you tell me with confidence that God has clearly called you in an undeniable way to stay here, to look for a job right at a college and live in Athens or within an hour of mom and dad? Has he called you that? Or is that simply your default because you didn't hear this clear audible call to Azerbaijan in some dream, right? But what did God say? What do we know for certain? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. That part is undeniable. What if, what if you made the decision tonight to commit to go, Unless God calls you to stay. Whoa, that's crazy talk. Why? Are you afraid he might ask you to do something hard? Have you bought the lie that if it's hard or scary, that it must not be God? Or that being wholehearted about doing with the gospel means you really have to like want to do it all the time? Like you're just happy about leaving? Like, let me get personal for one second. For, for my family, are we excited about this next season of our lives? Yes. Are there days where I cannot wait to get on a plane? Yes. But is that all the time? No, no, it's not. Going wholeheartedly doesn't mean that we wholeheartedly want to leave our friends and family and go live abroad. Like I'm so, so happy about leaving. I'm so happy my kids have to leave their friends and we leave our favorite city of Athens. We've lived for like 15 years. Like, no, it doesn't mean you aren't, it doesn't mean that if you aren't wholeheartedly happy at the thought of like moving to some other culture that is hostile to you, learning some language, trying to tell people about Jesus who really don't want to hear it, then, oh, you must not be called. No, it means that our whole life, Our family, our plans, our future, our feelings, our career, our lives, our children's lives are wholeheartedly concentrated, set apart, devoted to God. And so we go. Trusting that whatever he asks us to do, whatever he asks us to give up, whatever happens along the way is for our good and for his glory and better than whatever we're clinging to. Okay. Now on this topic, I'm also supposed to say that some people are called to go to the ends of the earth to unreached places and some are called to stay in their Jerusalem to work them on the reach. But I'm also not going to say that, and here's why. Because, A, number one, sharing the gospel with those around you is actually just part of being a Christian. There's nothing special about that. Just do it. That's what it means to be a Christian. Like, you're a Christian, you have a neighbor who doesn't know, like, tell them about Jesus. That's just what you do Okay, You don't have to ask the Lord if you're called to that. He's already told you. So regardless of where we live in the world, none of us can claim to be wholehearted followers of Christ while ignoring the commands and commission of Christ. If you live in the parts of the world that have been reached with the gospel and you're called to be there, then praise God. We need you. Keep working. Your work is important. And of course, share the gospel with those around you because you're a Christian and that's what you do. But it doesn't mean you ignore the call and command and commission of the gospel to the nations. Because this is the other reason that I'm not going to say the thing I said I should say. Because currently 97% of missionaries and 99% of mission dollars are going to places already reached with the gospel. Places that already have access. Let me say that again, but backwards. Only 3% of missionaries and 1% of mission dollars are being sent to the 7,000 people groups, which include 3 billion people that don't have access to the gospel. Again, this is not that they have heard about Christ and have rejected him. Like, okay, I've heard the gospel, I've heard it all. I just don't want that. No. They haven't heard. They aren't being told. And if nothing changes, they will live and die without ever hearing the name of Christ, without ever hearing that someone forgives sins, that someone will reconcile us to God, give us life. I'm not saying that we shouldn't send people or resources to reach places. I'm just saying that apparently we aren't struggling in that area. We've got that covered. So while maybe some of you aren't being asked right now to move and live among the unreached, all of you can still be wholeheartedly devoted to getting the gospel there, to getting light into dark places okay so we covered the what now let's get to the why like why go wholeheartedly I could say because Jesus told you to and that would be true and it would be enough right but let's look at the text why does John say that he's proclaiming this message to his readers what does it say see it starting back in verse three that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so our joy may be complete. So I see three reasons here, kind of obvious. One, that the non-believer may be brought into fellowship with believers. Two, that they may be brought into fellowship with God. And three, that John's joy, the joy of the goer, the messenger, may be complete. So let's just take these one by one. First, that you may have fellowship with us. If you were here last week, if you heard Vic, if you didn't, go listen to it online. Although I heard that the live was better, so sorry if that's all you did. But still go listen to it online. It was fantastic. If you were here last week, you know what he means by have fellowship with us, okay? His desire, the reason he goes wholeheartedly with this message is so that... They can be a part of, the non-believer can be brought into the things that Vic talked about last week. Spurring one another on, stirring one another up, bearing one another's burdens, having all things in common, caring for those in need, considering one another above oneself, confessing sins to one another, praying for one another, forgiving one another, serving, loving one another, being devoted to the Word, and on and on and on and on. There are so many one another commands and exhortations in Scripture showing us what it means to be in fellowship together. And I think it worth noting your community should be something you really want to bring others into. And I don't mean this place on a Sunday. I mean, bring your friends here, that's great. I mean you, your fellowship of Christ followers, your Christian community. Is it something attractive, something you would say to a lost friend, dude, you wanna be a part of this? Now, this is, this is a bit of a side plot again, but let me just say, we don't need to dress up the gospel to make it attractive, okay? An attractional church should not be one that tries to draw in the world on the world's terms offering some whitewashed version of itself. The world doesn't need to be entertained. It gets that elsewhere and we can't compete and shouldn't try because what we have to offer is better and vastly different than anything else out there. And actually just to bring it back to what we are talking about, remember how Jesus said the world would know we are his followers, what did he say? It's recorded again by the same John in the gospel of John chapter 13, they will know we are Christians by our worship music, preaching, small groups, buildings. Those aren't bad things. They will know we are Christians by our love for one another, by the fellowship we have with one another. That's how they'll know. Okay. So this is why John goes with this message wholeheartedly that they will have fellowship with us. And it doesn't stop there, right? We aren't doing all of this just to make our church bigger and add more people and be in fellowship with each other and have a big holy huddle. Like That's not the point. Church growth is not an end in itself. It is a means to an end. A means to what end, you asked? See the rest of the verse. And indeed, our fellowship is with God and with his son, Jesus Christ. So his desire is that you may have fellowship with us so that you may have fellowship with God. So ultimately, we go wholeheartedly, second reason, to reconcile the world to God. Remember, this mission has been given to us. It's kind of why we exist. That may seem a little extreme, but let me just show it to you. You can turn there or look it up later, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. I'm gonna read it because I'm running out of time. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who knew to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might be become the righteousness of God. Hear that, we are a new creation with a new purpose, given by God to reconcile the world to Him. And thus our identity, our job title, why we exist, ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. Which is why this wholehearted pursuit, this wholehearted going is a wholehearted pursuit and not just a side hustle. It's why we exist. It's the breath in our lungs put there by God to be used to tell others about Him. Our gifts, talents, resources, all of this, everything we are. Everything we do toward that end of reconciling people to God. This is actually what you were made for, which gets to my last point this final why go wholeheartedly. John says it so you will have fellowship with us, fellowship with God, and so that our joy may be complete. Hear me, there is no greater joy than spending your life doing exactly what you were made for. The world is trying to sell you joy in a bottle or a pill or a job or relationship or status or power or anything, entertainment, money, success. None of that will satisfy. None of that can give you true joy. So am I telling you to do this, to go wholeheartedly with the gospel for your sake, for the sake of your own joy? Am I saying you should go to a lost world wholeheartedly with the gospel so that you can have joy? No, the Holy Spirit is telling you that through John. Listen, the Christian life is not dull drudgery. You were made for joy, for abundant life, Jesus said. If you're bored with your faith, it likely means you aren't living wholeheartedly. Going with the gospel, using your life in whatever capacity to get the good news to those still in darkness, this is what you were made for. This is what life is about. This is where true joy lies, where meaning and purpose are. Carlos said it to weeks ago from 1 Peter 1. When we are born again, we receive a living hope, a ready salvation and a lasting inheritance. Lasting, eternal He said, we're tempted to give our hearts to things that won't last. But God calls us to fix our eyes on things that are unseen, not on things that are seen. Because the things that are seen, the things we can see, they're transient. They're passing away. Things that are unseen are eternal. Listen, you can experience everlasting joy now by investing your life now in things that last forever. Or, or you can live for right now. Live for temporary pleasure and praise of men. And everything you're living for will fade away like grass. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Or as John says a chapter later in 1 John 2, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I'm not saying this is easy. In fact, quite the opposite. Remember who's writing this. History tells us that all of his apostle homeboys got martyred. Okay? They tried to martyr him. They boiled him alive. It didn't work. So they exiled him to an island where he wrote Revelation, which is awesome. I'm also not saying that your friends and family will understand or applaud you. In fact, again, scripture tells you quite the opposite. You will be hated, Jesus tells us. But remember that so was he. College student, your mom and dad may not understand why you take two years after graduating and spend it on the mission field as a journeyman instead of starting your career and building your portfolio. Your friends will be posting their normal life on Insta, getting a job and a spouse and a house and a dog. Or maybe you put all of that on hold so you can spend two years overseas. Or maybe you just choose to live differently and give sacrificially and aren't able to buy all the things that your friends buy. And listen, Houses and spouses and jobs and dogs aren't bad. I used to have all of those. We sold our house and our dog died, but I still have the other thing. These are not bad things, but if you're living for that, if that's your goal, if that's where you think joy is, you will waste your life. And you only get one of those on this side of heaven. I believe it was the hip hop theologian Lecrae who put it best. He said, suffer, yeah, do it for Christ. You're trying to figure out what to do with your life. If you make a lot of money, hope you're doing it right because the money is God's. You better steward it right. You stay focused. You ain't got no ride. Your life ain't wrapped up in what you drive, the clothes you wear, the job you work, the tell you skin. No, you're Christian first. People get to living for a job, make a little money, start living for a car, get them a wife, a house, kids, and a dog. Then they retire living high on the hog. But guess what? They didn't ever really live at all. To live is Christ, and that's Paul I recall. To die is gain, so for Christ we give it all. He's the treasure you would never find in a mall. Your money, your singleness, marriage, talent, your time—they were loaned to you to show the world that Christ is divine. That's why it's Christ in my rhymes. That's why. It's Christ all the time. See, my whole world is built around him. He's the life in my lines. I refuse to waste my life. He's too true to chase that ice. Here's my gifts and time because I'm constantly trying to be used to praise the Christ. If he's truly raised to life, then this news should change your life. And by his grace, you can put your faith in a place that rules your days and nights. How does he do that? I don't know. Anyway, that was my gift to you. Now, my family moves in five weeks from today, Lord willing. And this is the last night of Wadi Chalas before the summer. So I realized this last night as I was praying about tonight. This is like the last chance that I'll have to be with you and open the word together. And it's been a joy and a privilege. And especially tonight, like what a gift to be able to share tonight. And If I could leave you and end with just one thought, one thing, it would be exactly what I was asked to share about exactly this. So much, so much is vine for your heart. Fight for it to be filled with the things of God, live for what lasts, go wholeheartedly with the gospel for God's glory and your joy, because it's what you were made for. Let's pray and then let's worship. God, you and you alone are worthy of our lives, of all that we have, all that you have given us. Every gift is from above from you and you don't change. Our world is changing every day. Things around us change. You are the unchanging one. You stay the same and you From everlasting to everlasting, are worthy of our lives, our hearts, our everything, and we give it to you. We lay it down before you. I ask, Father, that you would give us eyes for things unseen, for things eternal. Burn away the fog of temporary pleasure. Burn away the desires that our heart creates when we see things this world has to offer. And give us clear vision for things that last, things that are eternal. For the sake of your name and your fame among all nations, we pray in Jesus' name.